One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that uses the power of the song story to tap into our guests' lives and bring out the storyteller inside each and every one of them. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Captain Rob Modis. Instead of a bio statement, Captain Rob wrote, Rather than write a conventional bio, I made bullet points. The older you get, the harder it is to write a bio. So in a similar spirit, we're going to hit some of those bullet points now. Born in Williamsburg, Virginia, moved to Clearwater at age five, joined the U.S. Coast Guard in 1973, moved to Kentucky after six years in the Coast Guard, attended University of Louisville until a job opportunity in the hi-fi stereo business came up, and it morphed into video and surround sound and then eventually computers, moved to Miami in 1994 to work as an IT consultant for Barnett Banks, got a captain's license in 1999, moved to Fort Myers a year later to be closer to family and start a fishing charter business called Soulmate charters, started teaching fishing classes for Collier County Adult Ed in 2007, and then added teaching at Bass Pro Shops in 2016, started hosting a radio show called Real Talk Radio back in 2009 after taking over for a good friend who passed away from cancer, was diagnosed with cancer in 2015 and was forced to retire from guiding, continued on the radio and teaching classes for a while before moving to Fort Lauderdale in 2020, and started working on three books, the first of which, called What I Know About Fishing, Southwest Florida, came out out in November. Hey there, Rob. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing very well. When was the last time where you, where you were in a radio studio? Almost one year ago. Really? This week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're in town for this, but then you're going to be hosting your old show tomorrow. How's that feel? Actually, really excited. Really excited. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Nice to be back in the studio. How long uh, had you done that? 11 years. How did you fall into that? Um, originally, it was... Uh, a uh, good, good friend of mine hosted the show, and uh, I came in as a co-host many times just as a, a sidekick, and unfortunately, he got cancer, got very sick, passed away, and the family left the show to me. Huh. And because I'd been on so much, kind of knew the feel of the show right. and how it was, and uh, fortunately, it was it was kind of a... It was, uh, test by fire if you know what i mean oh yeah you know i've never done radio never done i'm not a communications major you know so i got in there and talked and it worked out extremely well and the rest as they say is history okay well welcome back to this studio this be like a dry run like practice talking into a mic again (laughs) yeah Uh, and we'll get more into that later but let's get back to the normal part of the show here so uh what was the musical background of your childhood and where was that uh, well, it started in Clearwater, Florida, um, and the background was uh, my father, actually. He had a uh, an album collection, uh, a stereo unit, the, a la the uh, console mm-hmm. without the TV, and uh, he loved to play music, all kinds of music, and so that's really where it all began. What would be like a song that would stick out or an, a particular artist that would stick out from that time? Uh, Harry Belafonte, uh, Trini Lopez, New Christy Minstrels. It was it was quite a mix. He also listened to show tunes, uh, but most of it was kind of Caribbean, Hawaii styled. Uh, you know, something with a beat. Every now and then he'd put on Dixieland, hmm. which is. <laughs> I think that's why I like so many different types of music. I really do. I, I have. I'm, I firmly believe that. So, 
Was your mom influencing music in any way? Was she just listening to his music? Listening to the, his. The, the family music. Yeah, just listening to was his. There, were there a lot of like um, luau's at your house growing up? <laughs> no. And the funny thing about it was my dad's from New Jersey. Mother was from Virginia. And I was born in Williamsburg. We moved to Florida when I was about five. So I don't know if it was because he hit the beach that that influence came like it. Obviously for me, I mean, I'm into the whole Jimmy Buffett and all that stuff now. Um, but I have I suspect that may have had something to do with it. Okay. Um, do you have any musical memories attached to your grandparents at all? Um, no, not really. Not really. Um, do you remember the first music that you owned? Oh, yes. What was it? Uh, Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the very first thing I bought for myself was Satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Um, what did your d- d- dad listening to Luau music <laughs> think? I have no idea. <laughs> um, it was. It's funny because uh, as as time went by, you know, the Beatles, of course, showed up. That was sixty three, sixty four. So I was ten, eleven years old when that happened, and uh, it was I want to hold your hand and she loves you and things like that. And when the Stones showed up, that by that time I owned a guitar thanks to my parents. Uh, they bought me an acoustic for Christmas, and then they bought me an electric guitar, you know, with the amp, and I, I was piddling around with Beatles songs is self-taught and all of a sudden the stones showed up and it was just to me that was a whole nother world you didn't piddle to the stones no no <laughs> you started to learn bar chords <laughs> um did your folks play music was their music being played around you or what was the sort of the origin of the guitar for no you? no it was it was uh and and oddly enough i am the musician in the family the lone musician yeah, I, I, and I don't know how – I play everything. I play bagpipes. Bagpipes. Yes. How does one get into bagpipe playing? Uh, grandfather having a Scottish background oh. and visiting Scotland and came home with a, what's called the practice chanter, uh, which is nothing more than a like a recorder is what it looks like. And you're, you learn on that, and as you uh, advance, you eventually get to play a pair of pipes. In Clearwater, we were next to Dunedin. Dunedin is the sister city of Edinburgh and has all kinds of pipe bands. My mom saw a um, ad for like a summer program mm-hmm. and put me in it, and I just fell in love with it. I absolutely love playing the pipes. I had a, a I don't know if you could call it a transformational. Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat today. That's a right. transformational <laughs> experience with the bagpipes about a year or two ago. Yeah, I mean, I always I heard the bagpipes. I knew what the bagpipes were. But I was at the medieval fair up in Sarasota, and one of the acts was these these two guys. One played the drums, and one was this like six foot eight Viking with a bagpipe, <laughs> and they were playing it in a very interesting and innovative way, which was cool. But it was so loud and so piercing mm-hmm. that I'm sure that you could hear it 500 yards away or more. Mm-hmm. And I looked up on my phone while they were playing, like, how long have bagpipes been around? And they've been around for like a thousand years or yeah, something. Yeah, forever. And so suddenly I can imagine being like a thousand years ago, you're walking through the woods that you've walked through all your life, and you hear that mm-hmm. coming. That would be like, that would be a demon or coming imagine, from, the, from imagine, the sky, you know what I mean? Imagine dozens of them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just well, the power uh, of that I mean, sound, you know, how it well, resonates. They're, they're, as far as the Scots are concerned, they're called war pipes. I mean, yes. that's that's what they're right, all about. Right. And um, I, I don't know. It was the, It is the only instrument that I had lessons for because you have to. There's no way in the world you can learn to play the pipes on your own. You have to have <laughs> Well, a, that's what I was going to say. You didn't yeah. like, you no, know. I mean, I can play almost anything I pick up. Drives my wife crazy. She's always, how can you do, I bought a keyboard one day just for the hell of it. I, I got a Yamaha, you know, full-size keyboard. And I started playing along with all the tunes. She goes, how can you do that? And I said, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. But that's not how the bagpipes work. <laughs> did you Did you write songs for guitar or other instruments yes. when you were younger? Mm-hmm. Oh do you, yeah. Do you still today? Uh, not as much, but I have some that are copyrighted that I oh. yeah that were good enough to bring my wife to tears. So I guess it worked. I don't know. Good enough know? to we could find them on YouTube later. Uh, I will send you one. Well, if not I maybe <laughs> like we could play it here during the show. Is what I'm getting. No, at. I didn't go that far with it. Okay, so uh, back to your early childhood before we get to your first song. Um, what was the first band that caught your attention? Was it the Stones, or was there something else before that? that... Uh, it's the Beatles. The Beatles? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Beatles slash Herman's Hermits, Animals, all the things that were happening around 63, 64, and also um, a great batch of soul music. Motown, of course, was was really getting big and so you know, i like listening to the temptations and things like that and you know back back when i was a kid and i noticed that's really changed now you know radio now on air is very select you you listen to rock you listen to country you listen to whatever back when i was listening to radio am of course first they put it all on the radio you, you never knew what was coming next and that happened as we moved into fm and then for some reason it, they started to delineate and pull music apart so i loved everything i mean there really wasn't much that i didn't listen to i can tell i can tell that story a little bit uh what happened was um they figured out that if you when you were competing for top 40 mm-hmm. music with top 40 music then um it came down to your mix and you had to be very meticulous and careful about how you could garner an audience or you could just program to one genre and try to just eat that market share, right? So if you're in an area that's a, you know 25% country and no one else has a dedicated country station, then if you're the first one... You're going to play country. I mean, so yeah, you're going to lose all those other people, but you're going to get like 25% share. <laughs> so it's, like, it's a pretty solid move. Um, and then, of course, once that starts, it's kind of like a losing proposition not to to go along with it right if a guy starts a country station and you're like well i guess we better start the jazz station and we better start the classical station and we better you know because if you're behind then you're going to be the one left holding the bag with no no genres in it. right right no one wants to listen to you anymore because they can hear their favorite thing all day all day right which finally explains for me why the tiger fm 93.3 in fort myers is so great there's this little low power station out of dunbar (laughs) high school i know i like to bring it up i can pick it up from my house it's low power and so it's it's like a nonprofit station, right. and so they just pay, they get some kind of free license, and they just play everything. everything. You never know. Right. I mean, good lord, everything. And it's because they don't have to make money. They don't have to like find a market share. They don't care. They just play right. music. Right. Yeah. I. You know. Like. Like I said, I think what was so unique about me as a kid was I was at the right time. You know. You just you turn on. Uh, I think it was WFLA is what it was, and it came out of the Tampa area, but had an extremely strong signal and that's what we listened to when we were in Clearwater and it's funny because you know how they uh, they'll put out those old list of the top 50 top 25 top 100 songs from blah blah date right if you look at those it's just amazing the the breakdown of the different artists on that thing and uh I mean, I don't mind. I'm, I still do genres. I mean, I still turn on. I love reggae, so I'll turn on reggae. You know, the D reggae channel, <laughs> and right. listen to nothing but. But at the same time, I, I like the diversity of different all kinds of different sounds and different songs. You said when you asked you if you, what your thoughts, folk, your folks thought of the Rolling Stones, you said they didn't hear it. Was there anything they did hear that you were playing that they were not a fan of? Uh, no, I mean, I think they just listened to what we played on the radio. Um, I, for example, my parents were not Elvis Presley fans, whereas a lot of other of my friends, mom and dads were, 
Um, I, I think I really think that they were more into um, the music sounded more like background music than physically right up front. I gotcha. Which really changed for me as time went by. I mean, I wound up staring, selling stereo and hi-fi gear, high-end stereo gear. So for me, it was I wanted it to not only kind of blow me away, but I wanted it to sound really good. So production started to get in the way, and that happened early. Um, like the Rolling Stones. The production's not that great. If you listen to them compared to some other bands of the time, the person that produced the album or whatever, there it's much better, but the Stones just kind of overwhelm you. Right, So right. that's why you listen. Okay, let's get to your first song. Okay. Go ahead and play it. Okay. Oh, we're gonna go ahead and play. It. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we should. Yeah. Uh, and this yeah. is uh, in the, we're doing them in the order you sent them. So this is Jamaica Farewell. That's correct. Okay. Yes. This is uh, Jamaica Farewell by Harry Belafonte, released in 1957 on his album Calypso. The first thing I remember about it was I had, you know, I started. I guess I heard it probably about 63 or so. You know, okay. so I, that's when I remember it. And by that time, I had a little acoustic guitar, a Sears Silvertone. I remember it well. And I had played with a pick up until this song and realized that you couldn't play that song with a pick. You had to learn to use your fingers. And I think that was probably I, I, it's why it always comes back. When I hear that song, it's not only the words to the song and the and the lost love kind of thing, you know, the, you're going away and you might come back, you might not. That That's cool. But when you're 10, you don't really, that's not what you identify <laughs> <Yeah>. with. <laughs> but the picking of the guitar, it was, to me, was uh, enlightening. It was like, wow, that's okay, a whole nother way to play a guitar. Again, like I said, I never had a lesson. So when you hear that, you realize you, you really can't do that with a single pick. So did you set out to learn to do it? Oh, you bet. Did you were you able to get there pretty quick? Uh, yeah, reasonably. Yeah, once I learned that you can use you know three, four, five fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a, it, I don't know for guitar players out there listening. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. When you play with a pick, a pick is a fairly easy thing to do. It's patterned and it's simple. But when you start using different fingers, first thing you learn is you can't bite your fingernails anymore. Yep. Hmm. You got to have fingernails, otherwise it's not going to work at all. And you find yourself. I still do this today. I clip the my left hand shorter than my right. Yeah. My right is my pick hand. So it was really a kind of an eye opening experience. It really was. And the weird thing about that song is that one song. If you go and look it up, which I did for this, you know, to try to find that original recording. Do you know how many people have done that yeah, song? I saw I that too. Yeah, Chuck Berry. Um, Everybody. Carly Simon. Carly Don Simon. Williams, Jimmy Buffett, of course, right? Of like, course, yeah. Um, Kenny Chesney's got a version, and then it, and then some artists that you, Chuck Berry was the one I was like, really? Um, so yeah. So you're you're speaking a lot of my language here, Rob, because uh, I'm a self-taught electric guitarist. It's my primary instrument. I took a bunch of piano, and then I decided I wanted to play guitar. Um, uh, I also generally don't use a pick. Um, my version for that, for for like your experience with that, was Sultans of Swing. Oh my! When goodness. I realized that there was no pick involved in the in the solo in that, it right. blew my brain apart. Like I couldn't believe it. But this song, um, I'm I am Jamaican. I'm Chinese Jamaican, and this is like core. You know, music kid memory. Uh, like you, I knew all the words to this thing before I had any idea what leave a little girl. And I was like, why would he leave his little girl? Like, <laughs> where is she? Did they lose her? Yeah, exactly. Why did he have exactly. to go? Um, right. So, uh, yeah, this is this is one of those where you know, growing up, 
it was it was going to be on, you know. And Harry all Belafonte is going to be. And on. all the Harry Belafonte songs, you know, the the Banana Boat, all the, mm-hmm. all those songs for me are still something I listen to today. As a matter of fact, I want to I want to say it was probably somewhere around fifteen years ago or so. Uh, a live album came out of Harry, Henry, Harry Belafonte. It was very popular. He hit radio waves and stuff like that. And I love listening to it because his voice aged. It right. had a little more gravel in it, but it was just beautifully done. I love listening to it. It's funny you say that. While we were in here listening uh, through, Mike turned and said, like, he sounds so young. He is. He was. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier when you when I asked what your folks were playing or your dad was playing, mm-hmm. and you you mentioned Harry Belafonte. Is that how you heard it in order to then decide to learn to finger pick to it? Yes. Yes. Oh, and at yeah. the time, it was all just by ear. It's not like you go on the internet or even mm-hmm. go out and get like chord book or something. You're just plucking yeah, and listening no see like today you have those advantages my friend i find it the only thing i go on the internet for when i am self-teaching myself i'll hear a song that i just like uh my wife will tell you i'll sit down pick up the guitar and just start playing along and which also she marvels at that you can even pick the chords out uh, the only thing i go after is lyrics right sometime and and then i found on the internet there's so many lyrics that are wrong right and it drives you crazy you're like that's not what he said in that line <laughs> um so you mentioned you went into hi-fi radio mm. was that so that was something you had already like gotten into interested in so then as i understand it you were in college but then you had a job opportunity so you yes. went and did that mm-hmm. how'd that go with your folks when you left college to pursue hi-fi at that time i had already done uh almost six years in the coast guard oh i jumped past the coast yeah, guard so i was in the i got out of high school and went in the coast guard so i completely skipped college which in my family at that time was a huge no-no it was like uh you know skipping but, college yes yeah so Ultimately, because you're in the service back in the early 70s, you have the GI Bill when you get done. So I had money to spend. So that's when I went to school. And that lasted a whopping two years. Um, as I like to say, they weren't really teaching me what I wanted to know. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. What were you it's studying? Just, uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Okay. But when you get into college, your first couple of years are nothing but the redundance of high school. And it just drove me. I'm like, why am I doing math and English and stuff again? I, I did that. I didn't like it when I did it. Um, I'm a science person. I just I love science. And um, so it was kind of hard. But uh, when I dropped out, I dropped out because I had friends that were, they were selling hi-fi. And they said, would you like a piece of the action? And I said, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I wound up absolutely loving it. Uh, of course, now we, we had... Uh, five small stores and we catered to um, the high-end audiophile mm-hmm. so we had the basics to advertise with it back then it was the Sansui's and pioneer and all that stuff that was available but we had all of the very unique european and american made high-end audio um, things like macintosh and conrad johnson lynn sondex acoustat speakers and you'd walk into a room and turn this on and and you could just watch the guys or gals' face just melt. They're like, they had no idea anything could sound like that. And they suddenly go home and sell a house, you know, and right. just to get it. And then, know. and for the youngins out there, this is like that one corner of Best Buy, except it's the whole store. <laughs> and there's salespeople <laughs> who are walking call- you through the minutia of it and everything. Ma- Magnolia? Is that what they call that? I think it's that, that little, yeah. It, it's just, 
there are still really good high-end hi-fi shops around. You you have to do some hunting to find them, but uh, but that's where it started. It was uh, my love of music mixed with that was uh, honestly a match made in heaven, and from there it went to um, home video, surround sound, and then eventually into computers, and that's how I got into IT. So. How high is your fi at your home? Like how crazy? Your set? Crazy? crazy. Tell us yeah. how crazy. Go crazy. There. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I use a uh, uh, Adcom amplifiers. Uh, they're 500 watts each per channel, and they are on top of a. They're underneath an Ad, Adcom preamp. Um, I have a turntable that's with special order from England with a special cartridge. Um, and then I use MagnaPan speakers, which are planar speakers. Um, they, they're flat. Picture a drum head with wires on one side and magnets on the other. Mm-hmm. So the, they're, they're kind of like an electrostatic. The, there's a, a field is created between the magnets and the wires that causes the panel to move. A speaker has an axis it works on. Uh-huh. And to create one sound, it must go back, forward, and to center. That a panel is instantaneous, so the sound comes off of it without that delay or that lag that causes listener fatigue. And once you've listened to a planar speaker, which I won't kid you, they're expensive, but once you listen to one, there is no going back. Um, yeah. So to compare it, it's like um, if you're if you're in like a stadium with an array system. Yes. But you're standing right in the middle by yourself. Like you're getting even sound from all this. From everywhere, exactly. It's, it's like that, but just in a in a small application, which feels so good. It really does. My brother came over. The Maggie's at my house. I had him on, and my brother came over, and he sat down, and I don't think he'd ever really listened to him. And he loves music, too. But he, he sat down, and he looked at me, and he goes, I've never heard anything like this. What are these things? And I explained what they were, and lo and behold, he's Googling, and he's on, and next thing I know, he buys a pair, and they're in the house. And then he buys the Adcom power amp systems. And so that's how addicted this stuff is. Is like when you hear it like that, it's almost impossible to go backwards. That's how people are with headphones, too. Ah, true. The, the online community around, like, quality head, like studio headphones mm-hmm. is they're, – they're very aggressive about quality uh and once you once you get above like 300 350 like it's these tiny little incremental <laughs> it's it but it's it's better but it's it's so small per dollar right well the thing about this too for me was i played in bands in in high school and into college and and all, and of course with friends i mean we had garage bands and when you stand in front of a marshall stack you mm-hmm. know what it should sound like yeah and i'm not talking about turning it up loud which of course it would obliterate the neighborhood but there's this crispness to it that in a recording it just doesn't sound that way and it's i guess it's because of just the playback system when you put it on a high-end system, it sounds like it sounded when you played it yeah. in the garage. It's uh, it's just it's magical. It really is. Um, what was the first band you were in that had a name that you played in front of people? <laughs> Delayed reaction. Delayed reaction. Oh, I like yeah. that. What kind of music was it? Rock and roll. Rock and yeah. roll. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, covers. Yeah, early Bob Seger, John Mellencamp, stuff like that. Which of course he was what John Cougar back then, but. Um, some stones, whatever was popular at the time that would get you into the party. Okay. You know, Were you yeah. a singer? No I, no. I do sing. A little backup vocals? Yeah, but I prefer not to. People say, oh, you have a good voice, but I don't know. It, it has always embarrassed me, I guess is the best word for it. I would much rather play guitar, and I do mostly rhythm with some lead. I'd, I'd much rather bang out chords on a guitar 
um, but we'll play lead when it's necessary. Do you have any songs that pop to mind when you think back to your time in the Coast Guard? Or, oh. or, or musicians or bands or something um, from that era? Let's see. Yes, Roberta Flack. What was the big song that Roberta Flack did? Um, Killing Me Softly. Okay. Yeah, I was in boot camp when that came out. And every guy in there was like, who is that? And because that's all you had in boot camp. They took everything else away from you. <laughs> so you were lucky to hear anything at all from outside. You're, you're kind of locked away for 12, 13 weeks. And um, I, I vividly remember that and thinking, as soon as I get out of here, I am buying that song. Were you uh, <laughs> able to listen to music when you were out on ships? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was it being piped around or was it in, you know? Uh, 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 yes, it was. It was a, it was on small. Says so, You know, back then, the, the, that was right at the advent of the jam box. You know, the, they had just shown up. And, of course, cassette tapes were starting to make a push uh, past eight track. And so people had little portable things that they it was before the Walkman though we didn't see the Walkman until I got out of the Coast Guard but um, and that our stops too you know when we stopped in town uh, on leave or whatever that's really where you heard a lot of stuff that you didn't you were not aware of. How far did you go? What was the furthest station that you were stopped off at? Uh, Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of the time I was on I was on land. Uh, I was station. I was base station search and rescue, so I didn't have oh, okay. to do ship stuff as much. Uh, I was in San Francisco, uh, Alameda, Cape May, New Jersey, and Yorktown, Virginia. Gotcha. Was your um, interest in marine biology really just an effort to find a way to stay on the water? Funny you would ask. <laughs> <laughs> I have a love of science, um, and I love. I have this thing about beaches and life on the beach and how it all works. Um, so that had always been there, but quite frankly, yes. I mean, once, once the Coast Guard ended and I was away from shoreline, um, I went back to Louisville, which is where my first wife was from. So I wound up in Louisville and Louisville was like, you couldn't be any further away from oceans yeah. or Gulf, in my opinion. Um, the study of, I've always looked at the ocean as probably more unfathomable, no, no pun intended, uh, than outer space. I think we don't, I really don't think we know much about it, mm-hmm. and we pretend to. And I was a huge Jacques Cousteau fan. I mean, Lord, the, the, that show was on, his books were out, and my relatives all caught on to it. So at Christmas time, grandparents gave me uh, marine biology type books, you know, things about sea life and things like that. And to this day, and I became a fishing guide, and my whole my whole rap with fishing is there's no luck, it's science. And that's that's how I do it, you know? What do the fish think of that? <laughs> Sometimes I win. <laughs> oh, They're man. smart little dudes, let me tell you. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll get more into fishing, I'm sure, in just a bit, but let's go on to second song. All right. Uh, let you want to let's see. I'd like to talk about it first. Okay, I think I, it was mentioned earlier in the in the cast. Um, the Rolling Stones, uh, uh, satisfaction. I can't get no. They. It's funny the way the title's done on that. When I looked it up for you all, uh, I've always called it just satisfaction. But I can't get no is actually part of it's the got title. That parenthetical yeah, side. side. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> 
Um, I, as I said earlier, the Stones just blew me away. I, I, there was no other way to put it, and that was the first song I heard. I remember where I was. I was in Virginia at my grandparents' house, and it was you know I had the radio on, and I'm like, "What in the world is that?" And I stuck with the radio so it would so I could hear it again. And then it, that is the first 45 I ever bought myself with my whopping dollar. Um, and I was trying to remember where I'm pretty sure it was probably like a Ben Franklin five and dime, something like that. Um, brought it back. My grandfather had one of those uh, record players, you know, the lift the lid. It played 45s, 33 and thirds and 78s and put it on there. And I mean, I played it till you could see through the vinyl, that kind of nonsense. Um, it's, um, just rock and roll. And then more stuff from the Stones came out as time, and I realized that 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 was a turning point for me. That was really where where I started to really mix that calypso-y type stuff with good old-fashioned rock and roll. I just couldn't get enough of it. And my guitar style changed completely because I joked around. That's when you started playing bar chords. Mm -hmm. That's when I started tuning a guitar to a chord. Mm Mm-hmm. I realized this, that Keith Richards was not just playing a tuned guitar. He was messing with tuning to get those sounds out of it. Yep. And you, there's no internet to learn that on. <laughs> yeah. So you have to start playing around tuning guitar a guitar to D and to other, other open, open chords. chords. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was, let me tell you what, Mick Jagger, or I'm sorry, Keith Richards was awesome at open tuning. Yeah. Still is. He, uh, he absolutely is. <laughs> He's yeah. <laughs> would you would you have thought then that he'd still be on tour? No. <laughs> in the future, because we live in the future now. We really do. All right. Uh, this means that I get to tell the the uh, satisfaction story again. Um, so it turns out that um, he apparently wrote that song in his sleep. Um, right. That that um, he had no recollection of the riff of do writing you, it. Do you know where? Um, oh, so oh, there's oh, contention. We're going. We're okay, going. there is contention about <laughs> whether or not it was here, here in Florida or not. But mm. um, I think in one of the autobiographies it says Clearwater, Florida. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other people, people in, in England, would argue that it was in Chelsea. I I'm not. I'm not an authority on it. I'll take. But it's Florida, so maybe I'll vote for Florida. Um. But <laughs> but yeah, like he he always recorded when he when he played anyway, and he woke up. And he didn't remember having played it, but he played back the tape the from tape, the night right. before, and he heard like two minutes of the riff, and then it says forty minutes. You hear the pick drop and forty minutes of snoring, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know he gave that to Mick, and Mick wrote lyrics for it, and then they recorded it. The funny thing is, did you know this that the original when they took that to the studio, that the original dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun, was supposed to be on piano? No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I found that in a in a thing that Keith Richards uh, interview that he did. He said we got in there and I was piddling with the guitar and they but that was supposed to be a keyboard riff at the oh, very I beginning. Oh, I see here. Yeah, it, well, the original song was in mono. Yes. Whoa. Yes, and so he started messing with the guitar and I uh Keith, no, I'm sorry, Mick went, "Wow, I really like that." And that was that they changed it right there on the spot and that guitar and that see to me that's why this song is so impressionable is is like so right in my face is because that's the whole reason i started playing bar chords on a guitar right yeah was because of the way that sounded you know and it's that serendipity of 
you know, him recording it and then them changing it because it's, I'm sure, and we had a previous guest who told a similar story about how he remembers the exact moment when he heard that song, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, well, should we listen to it? Absolutely. Let's imagine the piano at the beginning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, this is I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones from their 1965 album, Out of Our Heads. Was it like listening to it through this? Great. <laughs> it made me think of something. Um, the first time I saw the Stones uh, live was in Norfolk, Virginia at the Scope. And uh, see, and I remember that like no other concert. Uh, I was in the Coast Guard. It was like 74, 75, somewhere in there when I was stationed in Yorktown. And I remember when they played that song, how crazy the crowd went. Just nuts. Everything else had been like, you know, jumping jack, all that kind of stuff. But that one song, you could just look around and go, even the people in the far reaches were dancing. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, what would be a peak concert experience besides that one for you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> besides that, Pink Floyd. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Pink Floyd when? Uh, let's see. That was 1978, right 79, on. right in there, I guess. It was just mind blowing. The lights. It was the lights. The music was wonderful. I've. Always, I mean, you can't be into high end audio and not appreciate Pink Floyd. Those guys are perfectionist at recording, and every little. It's like Dark Side of the Moon today is still the album. It's the yeah. It's my opinion that if you listen to Dark Side of the Moon it's without perfect. headphones on, that you haven't actually heard, heard the album. You're right. Oh, you're like, right. You have it's, to get in a room away from people. And, and make it dark. Commit, <laughs> yeah, and then commit to the length of the album because right. it's not the same. But the light show, when I, I guess you know they were they were playing around with I call it pseudo laser because they really we really didn't have what we have today. Mm-hmm. But my gosh, what went on in the in the auditorium was just amazing, and it was all around you. It wasn't just everything else I'd ever been to was central staged, you right, know, right. maybe a little left and right stage, but. Um, and also the fact that the instruments they were using and things like giant gongs and bells and things that you don't normally see on a stage were up there. It was, it was fabulous. If I try to think back to the my memory, my earliest memory of Pink Floyd, and this popped into my head while we were talking, was uh, when I still lived in Kansas City, so it would have been like 78, 79, mm-hmm. and the roller rink, I would have been six, you know, five, something <laughs> like that, another brick in the wall teenagers da- uh, roller skating to it and me being like what's going on here <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure I smelled something funny in the bathroom what is too this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah what yeah. about a, a, a show did you get to see any bigger acts in smaller venues oh yeah well I've been a Buffett fan for a long time Jimmy Buffett and I have been privileged to uh, I had radio connections I worked for WLRS radio in Louisville and we had backstage passes and all kinds of fun stuff. When I did photography, so you partied for bu- party with Buffett. Yeah, and well, li- well, actually, I celebrated uh, Rod uh, Rod Stewart's birthday. You know, I mean, we we had some being in Louisville. It was I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, all the concerts in Louisville, as far as I know, the big ones were put on by Sunshine Promotions back then. And I worked for the radio station simply to do nothing but take pictures. And there were. Th- there was a guy named Nick, and I can't remember the third person, but the three of us were sent out to take pictures at anything that was done in the Louisville area. It could be Louisville, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and south to Nashville. So 
we got backstage passes and we, you know, I, I mean, literally sat on stages taking pictures of artists. I think Tom Petty, for me personally, was probably the the greatest of all time, being close to someone and talking to them. Um, and I tell this story because it was so magical. I'll, I'll do this without tearing up. Um, the venue, I think, was Louisville Gardens. I can't swear to that, but I'm pretty sure that's where he was. He came to play, and the power went out. And the crowd just got raucous, and no one really knew what was going on. You could tell backstage that the engineers had no idea what had happened. And eventually they sent him out on the stage. He went out on the stage with a guitar, a stool, and a flashlight and played two or three songs. And it was incredible because of the way the crowd got quiet to listen. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a sound in there. It was like, you know, like church. It was crazy. And I'll never forget that. And I've got a couple black and white shots I shot, but the light was too low because back then, you know, you were lucky if you had thousand black and white film. Uh-huh. There wasn't any yeah. high speed color, and so I, you know, I pushed it and it was grainy. I tried to do that, you know, to the to the pictures, and you got what you could get. Yeah, but I've never forgotten that. Never. When you were taking these pictures for the radio station, what was the end game for those pictures? It wasn't they didn't have a website to put them on. You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> they did a calendar every year. Oh, okay. a give it away gigantic calendar, a poster, and we would all submit our pictures and hopefully get your you know get on. And I did. You get your name at the bottom as a photographer, but more importantly, it was more about having access to people that you know were stars and that you really wanted to know more about. And uh, I, I, really in, I really enjoyed the watching, especially the backstage camaraderie. I really liked that. It wasn't so much them playing, but being backstage after shows, it was really, it was fun. It was really, really fun. It sounds like it. Um, um, do you still have any of those prints? Oh, yeah. Can oh, you got, find them? Oh, yeah. You find one of those of Tom Petty? <laughs> I, I believe so, yeah. Find it and scan it or send it to us, and we'll post it as, you know, with your episode. Yeah, I have I have some really, I mean, I was going through, I have negatives, and so I'll have to figure out a way to, uh, I'll figure it out. Okay. I'll figure out a way. I'm, the most amazing one I found was uh, was Leonard Skinner before what happened to Leonard Skinner. Wow. Yeah, so I have a lot of good pictures of Skinner. You can get a little adaptive. I don't even know if you have a scanner or anything. But there's a, there was a way you can scan yeah. negatives anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, so you were shooting photography for radio, and then later you did radio. Uh, <laughs> so let's get back to that, right? So when did that start, you said? Well, uh, let's see. Whatever, 11 years ago, full-time, actually doing the show. Up to that point, I was invited to do uh, quite a bit of uh, stand-in work on the show and And it was Real Talk Radio. Real Talk Radio. And it was on, like, the local ESPN affiliate? Yep, Um, 99.3. And so, like, weekly, live? Weekly, live. the the scope of it. Okay, weekly, live Saturdays. Uh, When I originally started on the show, it was an hour, and then it went to two hours, and then it went to three Back wow, to, you were like the Rush Limbaugh of, you're right. of talk radio for with fish. <laughs> it went to well, three. He's the only, well, I guess Hannity does three hours, too, but still. <laughs> I have to tell you something funny about that. Rush, I've listened to Rush off and on, and it, what always amazed me, having done radio now, is how anybody can do that every day, five days oh, a week, I know. That's what for I was three hours. At. Right, yeah. I mean, it's like, holy cow. You know, I, I would pick pieces of stuff all week long. 
to right. do a three-hour live And you probably program. had some weeks where you were like, what the, am I going to talk exactly, about? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, your little stack of paper is like tiny, and you're like, oh, no, I hope I get a lot of callers today. So you, you know? did take calls. Oh, yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. so you got real good at crowd control and just moving the conversation around, I yes. guess. Yes. Um, did you have guests, too, come in? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was always, I hated doing the show by myself. Really, I'm not a, a loner on a microphone, so I would always try to have somebody, and if we couldn't, my engineer, Rick. You'd bring him into the conversation. Yeah, well, he just, he, we banter back and forth like we're doing right now. I mean, it was the same thing. So. Um, did you have a musical element to it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I knew that because I pulled, we're going to listen. Did you? Awesome. <laughs> I went back, uh, I just pulled a <laughs> random show. We're going to listen to the beginning of it. Okay. It starts with a song, so yeah. stand by. All right. <laughs> Radio on 99.3 ESPN and 99.3 ESPN.com. Hi folks, welcome to another edition of Real Talk on 99.3 ESPN. Coming to you live from Stan and Haney Boulevard in downtown. Beautiful downtown. Yep. Vistero, Florida. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Joining me this morning is Debbie Hansen, freelance writer, blogger, and fishing fool. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> How are you Is today? Debbie a regular guest, uh, guest host yes. or, or yes. associate? Yeah, we'll and, cover and a lot and of now she stuff. is the host of the show. Oh, so and she's who's the host is now? Yeah, we went through a, a, a lot of names and ideas and things to do, and, and I've, I'm going to give credit to a good friend of mine. Um, we call him Salty Cracker. Salty... Um, uh, Mark Starnes is his real name. Mark and I were just talking. And I said, I don't know what to do. I have asked a bunch of the guys that are regulars, and uh, it was that it, it wasn't that they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to spend the time to do it because most of them are guides and full time guides, and they're already you know Saturdays are a big day for these guys, and and I understood that. And Mark turned around and said, You know, have you talked to Debbie? And I said, No. And he says, Well be kind of interesting i think and that's how it started and so she's she's on the show were you still guiding when you were doing the show yes oh yeah too much to juggle i guess not i mean you did it for 11 no i did it yeah it was uh it was crazy you know i use it as an excuse i hate fishing saturdays okay okay so saturdays is the day you take off yes saturdays is on sunday saturdays is when everybody else is on the water oh and there you go and especially in the winter and so I would just assume not be in the middle of that when you're trying to catch fish. So it really gave me a wonderful excuse. It's like drinking on New Year's. Yeah. Everybody's out. Everybody's out. <laughs> exactly. All the amateurs are out. And I, oh, listen, I could, we could do a whole show on that. <laughs> when you fish, I think the answer is no, but do you listen to music? I don't. Do some people? Yes. Oh, yeah. Why sure. don't you? I... Oh, gosh. Fishing for me is the ultimate uh, mind eraser. It just, when I'm on a boat, and this is for me fishing, not necessarily guiding, but if I go fishing, it is a wonderful thing that you, you can't possibly think about anything else. There are no problems. There's no world problems. There's no, there's no financial, nothing. You've, you're focused on where are they, where are they moving, and how am I going to catch them? And that, that goes on constantly until you get back into the truck. You know, um, I do. I know people that like to listen to music. Uh, I fish with people that, that play music between fishing. But I'm sorry, between moving from spot to spot. Right, right. Um, and I find that interesting, but it's just, it's never been my, my thing. Uh, pie chart, freshwater, saltwater, how much of each? 90% salt, 10 fresh. Yeah. And it, 
I've moved over to Fort Lauderdale now, and Fort Lauderdale has an abundance of freshwater areas for peacock bass, which I love going after. So that number will probably change a little bit. I once had a peacock bass in my fish tank. Sweet. It was predacious, we used to say. I'll bet it was. Well, you would eat more than it could hold. <laughs> They're vicious fish. They really are. And they, they wound up, you, you're able to catch them over there now because of people from the aquarium trade, as I understand it. Is that... Oh, no, they were they were actually put in by, I believe, University of Florida. Oh, so they're not endemic, but they no. were introduced on purpose. Right. They're, they are a what, what problem invasive. were they trying to solve? Uh, they were getting rid of uh, overabundance of wild tilapia. Oh. And the tilapia was taken over all the lakes and backwater areas. And as a matter of fact, it's probably one of the only experience, experiments with bringing in a outside uh, uh, invasive, whether it's plant or whatever, that actually worked. Hmm. Because yeah. they haven't, they've reached an equilibrium then in the environment to and, where well, they're they not... die, they die off from cold. Oh, if the gotcha. water gets too cold, the larger uh, fish will die. The smaller ones apparently hide. They they you know, dig into mud or whatever it is they do, and then they grow up. So it's very unusual in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area to find one over five or six pounds. Now, lately, people have been catching seven, eight-pounders, but that's because there's been no cold snap. But the cold controls that. It drops it back, and it has definitely controlled the tilapia problem that they had. So They're probably not having a trouble living this winter because we really oh, no. haven't had much of that. Right. Um, real quick before we get back to music, um, I've, I've had fish tanks my entire life, and at one point back in like the late 90s, I had a 55-gallon tank that was entirely stuff that I had either caught with a cast net or a net in a ditch all throughout southwest Florida. And it was the most fascinating array of fish mm-hmm. that you would ever imagine. Like if you're driving down Palm Beach Boulevard or something on the side of the road, there's a little cool little fish in there. Oh, you bet. You bet. And I did the same thing. My saltwater tank at home was things that I caught in a net. And... Uh, until you wind up putting like the small shark in there, and then it all just goes to hell. So, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you think peacocks are predacious, you have no idea. <laughs> okay, back to the songs. What's the song you've uh, played the most times in your life on a guitar? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Jimmy Buffett, "Son of a Son of a Sailor." Okay. No, no question about it. Um, second most popularly played Jimmy Buffett song by you. Mm. Oh my goodness. It, there's a bunch kind of all run together. I, I like um, uh, Pencil Thin Mustache because it has an interesting chord progression in it. Uh, yeah, I can see that. And um, yeah, there's there's too many. There's a lot of, you know, of course, Margaritaville, which I hate, but I play it because people want to hear it. And I'm sure Jimmy Buffett does the same thing. <laughs> He's like, please, not again. Yeah. Um, you should come up with a new version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Well, he's added a verse or two, but that, even that, yeah, whatever. Um, I really like, I like the, I like Buffett's, uh, I like the fact that I have learned about other artists via Jimmy Buffett. Not necessarily a Jimmy Buffett written song, but he'll do a cover and then he'll mention who that writer is. And, I'm from the day, this, that's also something that's really changed. When you used to buy record albums, it had the name of the song and the artist underneath it. And you start learning right away that Mick Jagger didn't write that song or whoever it was you're listening to, somebody else wrote it. So you start following that, that vein. Huh. And I still do that today. I, even though they don't put it on CDs and things anymore, I still go and look to find out, okay, who wrote that? And um, I find it interesting that Buffett does a lot of great covers, and I found a lot of great artists because of that. What song have you probably listened to on purpose the most times in your life? 
on purpose. Gosh, I don't know. It'd probably have to get back to Floyd. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Same with album? Yes. Dark Side? Yeah. Well, yes. It's kind of funny. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably Dark Side. Uh, And that interest has never gone away. And I had gotten out of vinyl. I had gone the... The CD, you know, the digital, <laughs> which, eesh. and after you've listened, you listen to an analog record, it's just like, oh my gosh, that sounds so much better. Did you recognize when digital came along that it was eesh, or did it take a while? Because it was so like, everybody had stars in their eyes about it, so you know what I mean? <laughs> so did you go, did you put it on and go, I don't know if that sounds quite as good, or did it take a while for you to realize what you were missing? No, that's what we all did. They were in the hi-fi business. You recognized immediately. Yeah, oh yeah. It was easy. It was easy. You know, they're easy to store. They're easy to package. They're easy to put in a car. That was the biggest deal. Except when you hit bumps. Yeah, they're bumps. not going to melt. Yeah, the early ones when you hit a bump would skip, of course, but now they fixed all that. But it was it was more of an ease. And uh, I remember the first player I sold. We sold Yamaha. It came in and, and we, you know, we're like, we marveled at it. I mean, it was very interesting, of course, that you could have music on this little silver disc. But long story short, digital music is on and offs plain and simple it's and so as a music note is played it's it to the ear you don't hear it right away but it switches on and off to play something musical analog the needle in a record is continuous it never has pauses in it so it's very melodic and very pleasant and that's the difference if you sit and listen to the CDs for a couple of hours, you get listener fatigue and you'll shut it off for no known reason. You just don't want to hear it. Or, or you constantly switch songs or artists. Put an album on, you listen to the whole side. You don't touch it. It's like, oh, that's nice. And you don't get up and do anything about it until you hear it going thunk, 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 thunk at the end. You know. So it's a total, It's to me, we drove it out of business for a while. And then the audiophile said, you really ought to listen to this. And now I find myself buying new pressings of old albums because they're putting it on thicker, better vinyl and uh, doing lots of really great things with production. So it's I don't want to get too philosophical here, but it's like the difference between, you know, like when we watch film, it's 24 frames per second. Those are each individual moments that get blended together by our brain so we can see what seems fluid. But it's actually discrete. Mm -hmm. And the analog record is fluid and the CD is discrete. And so what you get when you listen to an analog record is so they make sound waves that go into a microphone and they're still waves and then they get scratched onto that record and they're waves, waves and they come right. out the other side and they're waves and yes. they never get broken into parts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why they sound so good. They do. And when you turn somebody else on back onto vinyl, my daughter just started listening to, I got, uh, sent her what system to buy. Get ready to spend your money, honey, here you go. And so she did. And I got this note from her. She says, this is amazing. And I said, yeah, I know. And now she's buying albums, and she sends me these things. She goes, oh, gosh, I found this, Dad. This is a horrible addiction. I said, yep, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for song number three. Okay. What is it? Uh, it is uh, Kenny Chesney. Um, and and this was funny. When, when we talked and when you emailed and I had to pick three songs, boy, the last, the first two were easy. <laughs> the last one, I've jumped what fifty years, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, it's it's called the life is the name of the song, and uh, we'll we'll talk first a little bit about it. Okay, and then uh, um, 
I, I was a fishing guide for almost 20 years and uh, just absolutely loved it. And when I first heard that song, I believe it was in 2014, you probably know the date of when it came out. I'm going to say it's somewhere around 13, 14, somewhere in there. If I'm, I'm just guessing at that. 2008, it says. Real, oh, it was written then. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. That, the, that song to me was my life, which is not what the song's about. The song, the song, the life is about. I want to be like that. That's the whole purpose of the song. You, the, the 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 songwriter was like, we all have this hectic, crazy life, and he meets this fisherman, and the fisherman has things so simple, and he's like, God, I wish I could be like that. Well, when I heard the song, I'm like, I'm like that, and so it was a totally different meaning for me. Um, I play guitar. That's lines in the song about playing guitar, playing music, going to the bar with my friends and going home to your wife. You know, you're so happy that and you fish. <laughs> I forgot that part. You fish. And so those those that came in the in the verse and I'm like, oh, and the chorus rather. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's crazy. And then cancer snuck up and bit me in 2015. And all of a sudden, that portion of my life went away. Everything except the wife part and the. Uh, the music, the guitar. And it was really difficult for me. And so I think that's why that song hit me so hard and still does. Uh, and then the weird thing is the other day um, I heard um, uh, Kenny Chesney's got a new song out called Guys uh, Named Captain. And of course, I was a captain, a master captain, actually. And and turns out the guy that wrote that song also wrote The Life which I found really interesting that these two have crossed paths again. Because uh, for me, per, well, I know with my wife, the, the guy's called Captain, guy's name Captain, rather, brings her to tears. She just, you can watch her face just go, bleh. Um, because it's that same thing that we're, we're a bunch of pirates. We're a bunch of, you know, people look at us like the captain is the, oh, he's what you want to be. You know, you just, you want to just throw it all. Just I just want to go to sea. The heck with it. That kind of, and that's really not what we are. <laughs> <laughs> You're not running away to the circus no, on the water. No, there's a few. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a few, <laughs> but all in all, we you know we're very responsible people who really take care of our people on the boat. You know, when you're captain of the boat, you're responsible for their lives quite literally, and so it is a little different. But that impression that you get, and I used to really giggle and grin at, at, uh, after my trips, all of our trips, we would wind up at the fish house out on Fort Myers Beach, and and uh, we would all sit around. The, the The people there actually had our own stools for us, you know, with our you know. Yeah, I'm sorry, you can't sit there. The captain. Were you sit Cliff there. or Norm? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, probably more Norm. <laughs> but but it was kind of funny. We would all sit there, and and you, it was it was magical because when we started talking and telling fish stories, people started to gather, mm. and they just wanted to hear about your day on the water. And and I really loved that. And that's where this song came in. This song is a a huge part of that. You want to listen to it? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, this is uh, The Life by Kenny Chesney uh, from his album Lucky Old Son. When was the last time you listened to it? In the car coming over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On I-75, yeah, on the alley. Is what's going on here anything like you envisioned it was going to be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you think anything differently when you listened to it this time with us? Oh, no. 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 It, well, it was more, 
you know, when you actually get to sit down and really listen to it again. Mm-hmm. And of course, I've learned it on guitar, so I play it. You know, um, it's a uh, it's it's very interesting. When when I got cancer, diagnosed with cancer in fifteen, I thought I was going to die. I mean, it's it. What I have is terminal. Um, fortunately, there are all kinds of really crazy drugs and things. It's kind of like what's going on with the pandemic. How fast they're working on the on this. You know, um, uh, vaccine. Thank you, vaccine. Lost the word. And it's. Uh, you know, for me, it's been a struggle, but at the same time, you know, life goes on. And but when I hear that song, it's tough because I had those those four things: those uh, the fishing, the guitar, bar with my friends, and going home to my wife. And and it, you know, thank God for my wife, the world's greatest caretaker. I mean. I put her through hell. <laughs> and I think most caretakers need a lot more credit, to be honest with you. Um, it's it's a rotten, tough job. But I hear that song now, and it still bothers me a bit because I, what's in that song I did every day? I was Jose. You know, it was, and, and I have a hard time with that. Um, are you able to get out of the water and fish some? Yes. Yeah. But I'm only, I only go maybe once a month. Um, I'm boatless. You know, I had worked my way up the ladder in the world of guiding to where I was supplied a boat uh, by, by Mako. And, you know, I mean, I, I had really, I had broken that, that glass ceiling. I mean, I was there, you know. And it was a wonderful feeling because I worked hard to get there. Um, and then it all came literally crashing down. Uh, but I don't feel sorry for myself. I mean, I still, I, I enjoy fishing very, very much. I still do it as, as often as I can. People invite me. The pandemic has caused problems because when you're a cancer, you're one of those people that you're not supposed to be around right. you know, anybody. So uh, my friends are very leery of that as well, and they understand it. Um, but uh, as time goes by, you know, it's it's gotten better. And, I, and then I wrote a book. You know, I did that. I did a fishing book. So it's it's exciting now that I'm back in it again in a in a, a way I never thought I'd be, to be honest with you. Was there anything that um, uh, spending a lifetime as a fisherman kept you from doing that you wished you had done? Mm. Been a rock and roll star would been <laughs> nice, but <laughs> but I think all of us that play would love to have been there. But we realize what the odds are. Um, no, I I I love being on the water. I love everything about it. You know, when you're out there, I and you learn so much as you go because you answer people's questions. And I was good about if somebody said, what is that bird? And I didn't know. I'd say, I don't know, but I'll look it up and let you know. And then as time goes by, it gets to a point where you just kind of know everything that's going on on the water. And I had reached that. So, no, I find that very satisfying. I don't, you know, I don't. Would I do it over again differently? Yeah, I'd be a captain when I was 20. I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't do it when I was 45. <laughs> Did you learn anything from the Coast Guard that you were able to apply to your life on the water, or are those just two kind of not necessarily equating things? Oh, no, absolutely. I learned yeah. what not to do. Okay. <laughs> you, you rescue enough people. I see. Yeah, You right see on. people do yeah. dumb things. Yeah. You. Oh, yeah. No. You know how bad it can get. Absolutely. How quickly it can go bad. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to... 
Well, no, first, book. You mentioned book. Yes. You said in the thing that you sent me that you were nearing completion of a book. Is it's, that the book that you just referred to? Yeah, it's done. It's published. Is it a nonfiction book? Is it a fiction book? Describe the book. Nonfiction. It's about fishing in southwest Florida. It's called What I Know About, about Fishing. About southwest Florida. About, so you're over yeah. there, but it's about fishing Yeah. Here. Oh, yeah. Well, this is what I know here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's called What I Know About Fishing Southwest Florida. And it's uh, the book is based on... Um, as I have often said, when I, I taught a lot of classes and I did seminars, things like that, and I always said there's no luck in fishing. It's science. And it's okay if you want to have a lucky hat. It's okay if you want a lucky shirt or you have a lucky lure or whatever. But the reality is that fishing is, is like any other sport and there's science involved. And the more you learn about the science of fishing, the better you'll be at it. And people went to my classes for years. I taught classes for almost 17 years. And they were, you know, I did adult education. I taught at Bass Pro, things like that. People were always saying, why don't you write a book? We love your seminars and what you're talking about. Well, that's the bright side of the pandemic. Yeah, I didn't have a year off to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I was doing something all the time. And all of a sudden, here's a pandemic, and I sit there and start writing back in May, and it got published uh, middle of November. So, uh, what's it called? What I know about fishing. What about no? I, what, what, what I know, I know about, about fishing. fishing Southwest Florida. And you got another one you're working on? Yes. Yeah. What's it? Short stories. Well, I wrote for magazines and periodicals and newspapers and all kinds of stuff, and they would have you do those 500 to 700 word articles. And I started going the years of this stuff, and I started going through it. One of my favorite books out there is called Bat Fishing in the Rainforest. It's yeah. by Randy Wayne White. Uh, yeah, I know that book. And I just love it. I, and because Randy was, is a, he is a great writer, but he was a great magazine article writer. He wrote for Outside Magazine for years, and he put this thing together. And I always thought, you know, one of these days, I'm going to take all my stories. Well, the publishers like what they heard. Or like what they read, and they're like, yeah, why don't you do that? And I'm like, okay. So I've got, I'm up to like 30 stories so far. Do you type them, or do you tell them and then transcribe them? It's funny. I type and tell at the same time. Oh, you talk to yourself while you type. I do. Yeah. My (laughs) wife was a little worried about me at first when I, I, you know, when I wrote the book, I, like I said, I do seminars, and I, I love public speaking. I'm one of those people that's not afraid of 100 people. I like talking to people. And I would get – so I would literally sit there and type as I spoke. And that's how that – honestly, that whole book was written like that. You know, there's a parallel to radio um, writing because you want to make sure it un- it's understandable – um, to the listener, mm-hmm. you know, news radio writing. So, yeah, we're, we're taught to write and to speak it out loud because you'll catch things when you say it that you don't realize that when you're just thinking it. Or you might, you might write a word that you would never say, like, even though it's a perfectly fine word. But, like, yeah. th- there are times when – because we've had, we've had people come in um, to, like, interviews mm-hmm. and you ask them a question and they respond and you can tell they're mem- they've memorized a response because <laughs> no. like, you don't – speak that way no uh, i wanted to ask um you know because of your kind of whole outlook on on fishing mm-hmm. and how it's this it's it's like a almost a zen practice because mm-hmm. you get to be on the water and you get to wait and you get to act when it when it matters um do you ever go in for like fly fishing then oh yes oh yeah, yeah? there's a section in the book on okay. it no I, I learned to fly fish when i was young that's a different so. thing 
It well the problem with the problem with the view of fly fishing is most people view it as an expensive sport. They mm-hmm. look at it as mm-hmm. a but for me it's just another way to catch fish and and for those people that are listening, you can get into a fly setup at the same price that it costs to get into standard, you know, spin fishing. But I love fly fishing because fly fishing gives you even more time to think. You have to go through the motion of placing the fly. You mentioned the word zen. That it is the ultimate zen. And it's very once you get into fly fishing, it's kind of hard to go back to spin. Hmm. Um because you well, you can place things in exactly the right place, but more importantly, the fly that you either tie or buy is much more lifelike than a plastic lure. And so it it's much more effective is what it is. And in this area, it's starting to really catch on, which is great. Fly fishing for a long time in this area was really not... People did the beach, you know. Yeah, I always picture people like up in the mountains standing in a river. River, or down in the Florida Keys on a flat. Right. So it's, you know, sight fishing is what most people view fly fishing as looking for fish, hunting, if you will, and not blind casting. But here in our area, you can do both. At certain times of the year, the water's so clear you can sight. Wow. Right, okay. Other times it's not, so you have to blind cast. But... You know, I loved it, I, and I still do. I still do. You ever yeah. do any fly tying? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's end in that, too, right? There is. Um, and again, with pandemic, there's a lot of time for that. <laughs> what are you doing, tying flies? <laughs> um, okay, ready for this one? If you were a cocktail or a drink, what would it be? Oh, um, a cocktail or a drink, what would it be? Salt water in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you want to say margarita, but I hate margaritas. Um, yeah, no, you know, yeah. <laughs> I just, no. Um, I'm a vodka rocks, vodka with, rocks? with olives on top. With yeah. olives on top. That's, yeah. Is that the Captain Rob? Yeah, just take it as is, and I don't want to mix anything up with it. That, that would be me, yeah. Captain Rob. Yep. Mm. Uh, how about karaoke? Never. Never? Never. Dancer? As a matter of fact, it oh. makes me... It makes me Uncomfortable to watch other people do karaoke. <laughs> um, are you a dancer? No, not really. No? Um, if you could broadcast a song into the heads of every human being on the planet at once, what would it be? Hmm. Wow. That's a new question. We've recently added it to the list. That's pretty good. Broadcast it into the heads of everybody. I don't know. I, I've always liked... Um, I have... Scottish roots, so it would probably be Old Lang Syne or something of that nature. Mm. Yeah. It's about that time of year. Yeah. Uh, hey, I have a new question, Mike, that I didn't text you earlier, and I barely just remembered it, so I'm going to say it before I forget it again. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> um, if you could hear any song for the first time again, ah, good what one. song would that be? For the first time again. I'd have to go back to to the... Oh no! I I know. Yeah, I do know what it would be. I, it would be the flip side of Abbey Road. Hmm. The entire side, just start at the beginning and play the whole thing. As I, I'll never forget how magical that was, because nobody up to that point. I mean, some of the artists had done thoughtful, you know, albums, Inagata Devita kind of things, yeah. right? But that was the first time I'd ever heard songs tied together like that and ending in a song called "The End." With the magical Her Majesty stuck on there that you didn't realize was coming, the hidden tracks. Oh, hidden tracks, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it would have to be that, honestly, I can't pick, it would have to be that whole side, that whole side. If you were a championship wrestler, what song would you come in on? <laughs> um, 
Oh, gosh. I have to think about that. I'd probably have to play, I'd probably play the Rocky theme, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the theme theme or the or Eye of the Tiger? The Eye of the Tiger. Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Done. Done. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you got to do that. What would your wrestling name be? Captain Rob. Captain Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, best album Best album of all time. What would your outfit be? <laughs> what would my outfit be? Yeah, you'd have to have one of those puffy shirts with the... Oh Bills. no! Oh, never, waiters, never, waiters, never. Waiters. waiters. That's a good idea. Waiters would work. The yeah. angler would be your. The angler. Be, yeah, they call me the angler. That's good. Uh, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh. um, best album of all time. Best. That's probably album. hard for you. I think it really it? is. It's rude. I like the best album of all time, recording wise, and the one that I still listen to is Roxy Music's Avalon. Huh. That that is the superbly recorded album. It's magical on a high end stereo system. I played it for my wife when I, I rebought a turntable and she sat there and she said, This is amazing and it is. So I'd have to say Roxy Music's Avalon. I don't even know I don't even know what that is. I'm gonna have to look it up. Play like, it. Those are all new words. You'll to me. never go back. Is there are there any <laughs> um and this doesn't have to be a modern band, but are there mm-hmm. any new music um offerings that you've recently become aware of that you like? Oh, I like you know, I started listening to the Kenny Chesney channel and he plays some of the wildest, greatest stuff. Um anything that's that's reggae rock mixed, um I can't, you know, I'm not real familiar with the band names right now. It's just like, you know, when I was doing the radio show, we talked about this, that my theme song, I also had an enormous collection of fishing songs. And what I did was I would literally go on the music channels or wherever and just search under fishing and whatever popped up, I'd try. And I found a band called the World's Greatest Fishing Band, which was a bunch of studio musicians who had put together reams of fishing songs that were very well recorded and really well done um so that you know that's where it would be somewhere in you know that that realm of things that are not played every day on the radio okay uh what would 14 year old you think of you today you'd be shocked (laughs) most most shocked by what uh what I wound up doing, being a captain, I think at, at the age of 14, in the household that I was in, and with grandparents who were all professionals, I was probably going to wind up doing something in the professional field. At least that's how I felt at the time. Uh, my dad and grandfather were bankers. My my other grandfather was a, a, a pharmaceutical executive. Um, so something, you know, college-related like that. Being a captain... Uh, taking people fishing and leading this this crazy outdoor water saltwater life, yeah, I think my fourteen year old self would be really, and then he would probably be really excited about that at that age. He's like, I don't <laughs> want to be a banker. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay, of your three songs, imagine these three categories, and then place the songs into one of these three categories. And each there, you don't get to duplicate categories. Mutually exclusive. Mutually oh, okay. Exclusive. So right. first song is the only song that you ever get to listen to from now on. It just becomes music. Second song, you erase it from existence. It never happened. Oh wow! And then the third song, you're guarante- guaranteeing its per- perpetuity. You're guaranteeing that it will always be something that people know in the future. 
So the first song, say the first thing was what again? It becomes music. You you uh you That's, can't listen to any other song for the rest okay. of your life. Well, that would be the life. That, yeah, okay. easy. Yeah, that's easy. The second one was the category. You erase it from existence. It never occurred. To make a farewell. Ah, okay. And so then, well, but see the one that you've taken the one that's probably most likely to live forever. Right. And you've assured <laughs> it that it will. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Just like Keith Richards. <laughs> Just like Keith Richards. <laughs> Just like Keith Richards. Exactly. You're quick. Oh man. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, the last thing is to recommend three people. Um, I'm going to start with Angie Chestnut. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for years. She holds I don't know how many fly fishing records in fish. Uh, just an incredible person. Uh, and she and I play video games together almost every night. And, what do you play? And, uh, Destiny. Oh, that's fun. And, and we, shoot, we shoot and kill everything we can find. So it's just we just have a ball together. And, and great gal. Great gal. And she loves music. Loves music. So um, my former producer... Uh, at the radio station at Real Talk is uh, Rick um, Church, Rick Church. And Rick is just, I could not have done the show without him. He was one of those people in the background that doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And I used to call him the man behind the glass, and people got used to that. And Rick is just, he was just super when it came to music. I would come up with a weird idea for some song and say, you know, I really need to have this on in the next three minutes when we come out of the break. And he'd find the song and get it on there and cue it up. I he just, was your Richard. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny they have, he's Rick. People so, named Rick yeah. and Richard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This kind of stuff. Um, third one, this this is where it gets really tough. I, I'm going to pick on my daughter since she did this to me, uh, Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is uh, Rebecca Modi's. Um, she's my oldest, um, and she doesn't like me to say that anymore because she's really getting old. <laughs> I hope she's going to hear this. So. I bet she does. <laughs> and she, her, she, if she winds up on the show, and I hope she does, she'll talk more about it. But um, I greatly influenced her with music, and she to this day she still has just an amazing, and she's passing it on to my grandchildren, which I am just thrilled about. They're all the same way that that I was growing up. They're just you know like soaking it up. So she, she yeah, she's got to do it. She should do it. Okay, well, Richard, were you going to say something? No. Oh, I thought I heard you in my head. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm hearing Ghost Richard. No, that's just mission accomplished. Now you hear me in your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's it. you have any final thoughts for us? No, thank you very much for having me, though. I really, really enjoy this. This is great reminiscing and going back and, and really thinking about the, the way music has affected me. Yeah. Uh, well, we really appreciate you doing it. And last, last question is, when are you on tomorrow? Uh, seven in the morning. Seven. In the, mm-hmm. uh, I yep. have to wake up at seven. Yeah, the seven to ten. Three. Three so hours. You're doing all three hours. Yeah, well, you yeah. got it all lined up. I'm co-hosting. No, she's uh, Debbie is going to be there. You're co-hosting. Oh, this is really okay. great. I do not have to show up with no a stack pressure, of paper. All glory. She has to have the stack of paper. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, all right. Well, Captain Rob, thank you so much. Thanks, thank Rob. you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and periodic host. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're going back to episode 118 with WGCU reporter and host Andrea Perdomo that released in June of 2020. She's soon to be former those 
things because she's just accepted a position at WLRN in Miami, where she got her start in public radio. For her third song, she asked her old friends if there were any songs that will always remind them of her, and this is what they came back with. And by the way, Andrea, if you're listening to this, you will be missed by the entire Three Song Stories crew. I came in like a this is a song that um, mostly started off like after like nights of us like going out partying and then like heading home like after you go to Denny's and then like going home it would be like me and my friend Kendra just like singing it like with the windows down like screaming it at the top of our lungs like and putting it on repeat all the way home. <laughs> Um, and we used to do that a lot. Like, in other friends, too, on the way back home, would be like, oh, you want to play Wrecking Ball? Like, it was, like, our guilty, like, pleasure. And then finally, like, I graduated a little bit later than probably than, like, most. You know, I graduated, like, in 2017. And we got to do that really cool karaoke thing, like, in a, get a room. And then we're just like, let's play, you know, let's play Wrecking Ball from Miley Cyrus. And then we're just, like, belting it. And it's just kind of, like, awesome. Like, that's, like, the most, like, that's, like... Me and my friends, like, not giving a shit about anything or being cool or whatever. We're just, like, all just so emotionally invested in this song and just belting it out. So keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. We met a dude in the parking lot that had, like, a bunch of lobsters and steaks because he owns a restaurant. So we were just eating lobsters, and then we saw Neil Young.